Arizona knows pine tar. Bacardi knows bubble gum. Bacardi knows water fountains. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to episode 378 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller and I'm here with Ben Lindbergh. Mm-hmm. Ben, how are you doing? Okay, I'm excited. It's a big day uh, at Baseball Prospectus, not in the not in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep, Dakota Day, is that what uh-huh. you mean? Yep. Yeah. Everything feels early this year. It has been early for us. It's early in baseball because a couple teams are just a few days away from, from reporting. And it's early for BP because normally we're still a week away from the book coming out and Pakoda coming out and maybe a few weeks away from the Top 101 coming out. Uh, and all of those things either are out or have been out for a little while already. Uh, so as you're... As you're listening to this, unless you're listening to it the second that we put it up, uh, Pakoda is is available at Baseball Prospectus to subscribers. So you can go and download the spreadsheet with all the projections and look at the depth charts for each team and the projections for each team and the player forecast manager and the fantasy tools and all that stuff is live. Uh, so lots of lots of hard work behind the scenes went into it, and we're happy that it's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and some people sat around doing nothing. <laughs> some did, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't their job to, but right. behind the scenes, there were also people not working. <laughs> yes, it's important to remember. Just out of curiosity, do you have a do you do you get any sort of I I guess now you don't because you uh, the, I well I sort of sense that there's a at least a tiny portion of you that dreads the season. But did you historically get any sort of jolt from pitchers and catchers reporting? Was that a day, uh, a day you celebrated? I probably did early in my fandom, and then quickly I realized that it's like the most anticlimactic yeah. event on the baseball calendar. Because from the second the World Series is over, people start the countdown, and they start the countdown to pitchers and catchers because it's the earliest date that you can kind of make the case that baseball is happening. And it's you know, sort of nice after a winter to see players in uniform and everything, but that wears off in about a day, and then uh, a lot more nothing happens before something happens. I hate it. <laughs> uh, I well, I've enjoyed uh, I enjoy beat writer pictures, uh, beat writer Twitter pictures of things that are happening there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there is a there is a great Tumblr. You saw one today. You I saw did. A, a great picture of those today. <laughs> yeah, uh, Anthony the McCarron. One of the greatest. Yeah, it, it was great. I retweeted it because Anthony McCarron, the the, the baseball writer for the Daily News, uh, was covering or was at a workout that Derek Jeter was doing. He was hitting in the cage and he was taking some grounders, and he he tweeted a picture of of Jeter in the cage. And you really can't see <laughs> Cheater at all. You can, if you like squint and make it big and kind of lean it, you can kind of see a, sil- a silhouette right of a player, maybe. Um, I see, I see, uh, I guess I see four silhouettes 
none that I would consider likely to be players, <laughs> although at least one of which could start a fat Jeter controversy. <laughs> yeah. If that um, were this looks like horse stables, though. It looks like it you're does. peering into horse stables. Yeah, and uh, so Anthony McCarron tweeted that. Oh wait, Jeter. I, uh, I see a, I see. It looks to me like I see a little league team in playing. <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like I see one six-year-old boy. <laughs> oh, I see a person running. Is he running? It's I like see a, a person running. It's like a Rorschach test. <laughs> uh, you can see whatever you want to see, and so he tweeted, "That's Jeter in the oh, back." Oh wait, wait, wait! No, there. I do, I, I do, yeah, I, see, you see, I see, I see a, I see a, I don't know, I see someone who looks like he might be holding a bat in a batting stance, but yeah. Oh no, I see a ground ball going just to the left of somebody. Uh-huh. So that's uh-huh. got that's him. Definitely it. Burn. <laughs> did you Jeter know that? Did you know that he's not very good at defense? I, did you? I had heard. Uh, oh. So anyway, uh, and he tweeted, got to look closely, though. And I did, and I still can't see him. Um, nothing against Anthony McCarron. This is what you have to do when you're a beat writer and your paper sends you to cover spring training. And you you have to cover spring training. And at this point in spring training, that means taking pictures of mundane events uh, or maybe not even visible events. Um, so I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating the return of the bad spring training TwitPix Tumblr, which collects all of these, uh, terrible pictures. Uh, one of the things, one of the things that happened the year that bad spring training twitpix.tumblr.com came out is that, um, after a few weeks, I felt like you started seeing knowing photos. You, you saw beat writers who were putting their, their worst I don't want to necessarily say their worst photo up, but the one that was the most bad spring training, twitpix.tumblr.com-esque, and you got the sense that they had become in on the joke. Mm-hmm. So is it your guess, based on, on what you've seen today, that Anthony McCarron was knowingly tweeting this <laughs> with bad spring training, twitpix.tumblr.com in mind, or was this just... Uh, him warming up for the season (laughs) yeah I think it was more uh, I don't know maybe that one there was some self-awareness of the fact that you can't really even see because there's an explanation point after though right if it had just said gotta look closely there's Jeter in the cage there but the 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 way that the the tweet is structured there is a there is the uh the the uh, characteristic uh, there's the sort of traditional exclamatory upswing that comes from a a ironic tweet mm-hmm. yes and and he was also uh he was tweeting about like every every grounder jeter was taking as if it was a momentous event and i think there was there was yeah he was Sounds intending very to do that. knowing yes knowing but at him. the same time uh that's he he deemed it tweet worthy and it is at this point in the year because this was a a slow day and cheater taking workouts in Florida is is as big as anything else happening. Um, so anyway, yeah, I do. He did. There is a repetitiveness to this too. Uh huh. That that I could go either way on this. There's <laughs> all these photos are the the ones he tweets later are all basically identical. I think he went into this with a plan. <laughs> I think that he this is this was he spent it. He spent a couple of hours executing a pretty good joke, is what I think. Yeah, could be. Um, and I, the worst is is beat writer play by play in in spring training. And you I could, think that's part of the joke. 
He's he's doing play by play. Well, yes, he may be. He may be. Um, yeah. Not everyone is, but you could make the case that that beat writer play by play is is more valid, more worth the the bandwidth it takes up in spring training when people aren't actually watching the games as much and it's sort of harder to see the play by play. On the other hand, it's completely inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to say which is which is more meaningless in season play-by-play or in uh, it it always reminds me like when you see the or when you see those like pictures of you know uh, like 1903 world series or something and like all these people are are gathered around some big board somewhere really far away from where the world series is taking place and you have people like moving mechanical figures around this this display and everyone's clustered around because this was the the fastest you could get the news. The news was coming, you know, over the telegraph and these people were simulating the game and everyone was watching it. And it seems to me that a lot of beat writers are still sort of stuck in that mentality of uh, we have to share the the events that are happening on the field, even though anyone who's interested could, you know, open the game day app on their phone or watch MLB TV or all of the many ways that you can find out what's happening in baseball games today. Boy, Ben, you came out you came out swinging tonight. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Bringing down the system. Mm. I I have no patience for um, the play-by-play of in-season games, mm-hmm. even though uh, uh, as far as the as far as the choice that you have set up, the Sophie's Choice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, I haven't seen Sophie's Choice. <laughs> I vaguely recall though that using that as a metaphor is awful. I don't remember why. <laughs> Uh, Can I take that back? Sure. I yeah. don't know. I don't have it. I don't have any idea. So forgive me. Okay. I might have just done something awful. <laughs> All right. Criminy, I'm scared. Mm. I am terrified to find out what I've just said. Uh, the choice that you've presented me, though, uh, I think that uh, that if the game is not being broadcast in any for in any fashion, that mm-hmm. the a beat writer. Uh, tweets are sort of a little bit tedious, but that is why beat writers exist, and mm-hmm. I congratulate them for doing it. I, I applaud that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, have you seen Sophie's Choice? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Do you know what the choice is? I think I know what the choice is. Am I in trouble? Mm, I guess it was maybe a maybe a, f- a frivolous use of the of the choice i eh, i don't know we, you we think can, the choice can. you think the choice about whether to have beat writer twitter play-by-play <laughs> in a regular season or spring training is frivolous uh it's not the sort of thing you would make a major motion picture about with meryl no. streep no all right okay what are we talking about today i don't know it's your day uh, i thought that you were directing me to talk about something uh, well, I thought we could talk basically about Pakoda. Um, I don't, I don't know. We, we could talk about the standings. We could talk about any projections that might have caught your eye. Uh, I, um, I've been, after reading Russell's piece that ran on Monday, I'm looking and I just, I don't find the chemistry column on mm. here. I need no. the chemistry column. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not on there. I was thinking that uh, this is, I guess we'll get to Pagoda eventually, but 
um, I was thinking that one of my one of my sort of goals this year is I want to figure out how to root for the chemistry of my team. Like, I, like I know how to root for my team's pitching to do well, and and you know th- there can be multiple layers of that. You can root for the bullpen to be saved, for instance, and you know you can root for you know one specific pitcher's changeup to to look good and develop, or you can root for the catchers to be good framers this year. Like, there's all sorts of ways that you can root for that. And as a person who is you know now uh, tremendously interested in this great unmeasurable mystery of chemistry, I want to figure out how I can track my club's chemistry mm-hmm. and and not not necessarily not necessarily get to the truth of it, well, certainly not get to the truth of it. It's impossible. But to get to something that is convincingly truthful enough to me that I can get enjoyment out of it. That I can that I can delight that I can basically that I can judge things that are happening as positive or negative because that's essentially what baseball is is you're judging there's about um, 500 ish discrete events in the course of a game and you are evaluating each single event as uh, ha- making you slightly happier or slightly sadder mm-hmm. um, it is it does you know it, it affects some chemical in your brain. Uh, either uh, the happy direction or the sad direction, and I would like to be able to figure out um, how to read the the B stories in the next day's newspaper, the you know the features and the quotes and the uh, you know what I see in the dugout and all that, and be able to determine whether my brain should send happy signals or sad signals. That's my goal. That's what I would <laughs> like to. And maybe this year is is unreasonable, mm-hmm. but I I would like to be able to wrap that in to my fan experience well good luck with that <laughs> uh i don't i'm thinking of i'm thinking of trying to assess team chemistry via twitter as a proxy um and looking looking really at... because i was going to do that that is actually a, an article on huh. my to-do list because gabe recommended it actually oh. gabe suggested that you could uh gabe kapler suggested that you could design a study like the NBA touch study that I've referenced a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could do it with tweets as touches. And I, I was actually, I was going oh. to do that. So well, what, how are you? I wasn't going? thinking counting tweets. I was thinking just looking up how, how tightly tied together the, the team is on Twitter. Like, yeah, are they sure. following each other? What, what sure, percentage yeah. of, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, because Russell had suggested once that if he, were allowed unfettered access to a clubhouse that he could try to assess chemistry by sort of just charting the interactions and seeing who talked to who and how many conversations they had. And, uh, you know, uh, it, you could kind of use Twitter as a, a very imperfect proxy for that. So, uh-huh. yeah, well, one of us will do it. All right, so I'm I I don't have anything to say about Pakoda. It sounds like you do, but I I happen to have opened the the spreadsheet that everybody can download on Tuesday, and right now right I now I believe I just got an email. It's live. Right now I can I can only view the comparables column, uh-huh. and the pages uh, the pages sorted by by projected warp. So yes. like I I think probably Mike Trout is number one. Though I don't know, and so his comparables are Jason Hayward, Justin Upton, and Giancarlo Stanton, and so I'm scrolling down, and the first 
bad player I can find in a comp uh, in a comparables list. The first, you know, I was a truly pretty bad player that I can find is the 29th ranked player in baseball by projected warp. And his, one of his three comparables is Lonnie Chisenhall. And so I challenge you right now to guess who that player is. And I'll tell you his other. The others are Ryan Zimmerman and Starlin Castro. So he's 29th in projected warp. He's presumably an infielder uh, and uh, young enough that Lonnie Chisenhall can be one of his comps. Mm-hmm. So we have Zimmerman, Castro, and Chisenhall. Do you have a guess? Uh, you hate when I have to think about things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm, Matt Davidson. Matt Davidson. Interesting. <laughs> that would be a very, very optimistic. It sure would. That's a bad, bad guess. Um, it's an infielder. Presumably, uh, presumably the left side of the infield. I have a guess. You have a guess. Oh, right. I you def- haven't even seen it yourself yet. Right. I definitely have a guess. Uh, uh, mm, Middlebrooks. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's probably too optimistic, too. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess Manny Machado. Uh, okay. It crossed my mind, and I thought he might be too good. but He might be. Maybe, I got one, maybe I, yeah. Bog- Bogarts. Yeah. Oh, Bogarts is a good one. That's a good guess. That's a really good. That's a that's a strong guess. I have one more for you. Okay. Number th- number thirty five, thirty fifth best player in baseball. Scott Sizemore is one of his, and mm. his other two are Chase Headley and Seth Smith. The odd grouping. Yeah, that is weird. I don't even know what the. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> There's no no common position there, really. Um, well, Sizemore. I mean, Sizemore eventually was at third. Yeah. As was as was Headley, but yeah, you've got it basically a third baseman, a second baseman, and an outfielder. I might guess uh, Arenado seems too optimistic for thirty fifth best player in baseball, mm-hmm. and probably I'm just thinking that because Seth Smith was Colorado and has planted that in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who Sizemore is. Sizemore older than Pablo Sandoval? Could that be it? Uh, could be. Mm. All right, I'm All gonna right, go look at these. Tell us the answers. The 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 Sizemore one is Josh Donaldson, uh-huh. which is fitting because he f- replaced Scott Sizemore. Like that's uh-huh. actually who he, that's whose <laughs> position he was playing. Uh-huh. Cla- classic, classic <laughs> Pakoda. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other one is Manny Machado. <laughs> oh, well done. Okay. All right. What do you want to say? Uh, I don't know. Um, my first. My my favorite projection, I think, and I haven't really dug into everything yet, and I'll probably write about some individual projections, but um, the one that I'm fondest of is is Billy Hamilton's base running projection. Mm. Would you care to guess what his projected base running runs it's total is? almost impossible to imagine that Pakoda would have somebody over 10. It and is. Almost impossible it to imagine. It is almost that. impossible. And it's almost impossible to imagine that Billy Hamilton could be below 10 if he's given <laughs> it. There's a minimum in these of 250 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Hamilton's projected more than that. But even at 250 plate appearances, I would imagine he can clear 10. He's uh, but, got 488 on here. 
projected uh, appearances? So I'll say eleven point nine. It's eleven, uh, mm. which which yeah is very very high <laughs> because as everyone who's seen Pakoda knows, and really every projection system, it tends to be tends to look sort of conservative to people who haven't seen projections before because they they expect the league leader to have a number that, that in whatever category you're talking about that could conceivably lead the league whereas in projections no one is ever really projected to hit 50 homers someone might do it uh, but the system doesn't really project any individual person to do it and so yeah that's why it's it's fun that Hamilton has an 11 base running runs projection because that would have led the league last year Yes, by a by like three runs, um, which is weird because you almost never look at really any category in Pakoda, look at the league leader or the projected league leader and compare to last season's league leader and see that the projecting projected total is higher, which is the case here. But there was no no Billy Hamilton in baseball for 70, most of last season. Seventy three steals. Yeah. <laughs> From Pakoda. Pakoda says that. I know. It's crazy. And his projected on base percentage is only 2.99, so he will he will be going every time yeah. he gets they, on base. You're right. They have him on. Pakoda has him on on first base, not counting fielders' choices, 118 times plus hit by pitch, so 119 times plus fielders' choices, but also minus every time there's a guy on second in front of him, mm-hmm. and minus blowouts, and minus first pitch swings by the guy who's batting. And so out of those 118 or whatever times I said, they expect him to, to go 88 times. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and to be the 55th best player in baseball because a lot of, of that is defense largely, also. yeah, largely because of this and, and defense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, looks like it, he'll be a terrible hitter. Uh, so yeah. wait a minute. So the thing about Hamilton then is that normally the classic, guy who's better in fantasy than real life is the guy who gives you empty steals mm-hmm. but hamilton is he better in fantasy or better in real life all of his value comes from the glove which doesn't count in fantasy or stolen bases which counts like 17 times more in fantasy mm-hmm. so 55th best position player he will probably be drafted higher than 110th or whatever the you know what wherever the 55th best position player is drafted so mm-hmm. he'll probably be like a fifth rounder so yeah i guess i, I guess still more valuable in, in fantasy mm-hmm. but yeah so that's that's my favorite so looking at last year's spreadsheet the the highest projected base running runs total was seven for coco crisp um so this is this is the rare case where Pakoda really goes out on a limb with someone um mm-hmm. so i i enjoyed that um how about John Segura or Jim yeah. Segura? That's, yeah. that's kind of – that. I mean, particularly if you're the type who gets swayed by um, arbitrary endpoints and you know that Segura was tremendous through May mm-hmm. and absolutely dreadful Awful. from that point on and you think that the league figured him out and you had concerns about him all along anyway, as, as some people in this podcast did – um, you would think that Segura is not a good bet to be the 13th best position player in baseball. You would think that that's too optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, and it's what is his hitting projection? Because it's mostly defense-based 
282-320-403, which is actually mm, not bad. considerably better than league average for a shortstop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, his his second half line last year was was 241-268-315, which is pretty ugly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Pakota really likes his defense. Like, he's like the third, didn't you, he, he, he's like a top 10 defender by Pakota's estimation, mm-hmm. and that's at, uh, you know, the most difficult position. And that's interesting that, that Pakota sees that, because um, the sense that I get from um, talking to people is that he his defense actually is sort of a, like, took a big leap forward last year, or maybe in the last year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And he there were, I mean, one of the reasons that he... I think got traded is because there wasn't a consensus that he would even stay at shortstop for very long um, because he's, you know, he doesn't have a great shortstop's build. And there was some question about his throwing and about his defense. And Pakoda, anyway, the point I'm making is that Pakoda is sort of famously has a longer memory than flawed human brains generally have and is less prone to um, overreact to the last year. So it's kind of encouraging that Pakoda sees in him um, like a, a truly good defender. Mm-hmm. And not a one-year, um, not a one-year creation. So here's uh, a way that we can organize the rest of this episode. Um, Andrew Koo, one of our our uh, sometimes writers and and often stat request gurus at BP, just sent me a list that I had requested of the the top risers and fallers, uh, comparing 2014 projected warp to 2013 actual warp. Um, I'll probably probably write something about this after we're finished here, but let me uh, read you a selection of some of these risers and fallers and see if you are see if you're buying it. The the top projected, well, I'm, yeah. Uh, I mean, I assume that all of the risers, all of the top risers, are going to be people that we also think are are risers, right? That we just might not think they're extreme risers. Yeah, right. What are the odds and, that Pakoda's like number two riser? I'm gonna be like, nope, he's crashing. <laughs> Probably not great, but um, possible. A lot of them, of course, are uh, risers in just playing time. Um, I'll probably probably ask him for some rate stats too. But uh, so you have guys who who missed a lot of last season, like Cameron Mabin is at the top of the list. Um, because he had 57 plate appearances last year and didn't hit well in those plate appearances. But he's actually projected to be a, a 2.6 win player, which would be nice if that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the second top riser is Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. Now, Pakoda was high on Pujols last year. He's still high on Pujols, and that's because the way that Colin Wires set the system up is that it takes into account a lot of older data that some other systems don't. So um, like the, the back end of Pujols's peak or close to his peak is still being factored in to some, some degree here. Um, but it, but it expects him to be, uh, let's see his line or no, that's his last season line, but it, it expects him to be like a star again, um, which is, it's kind of a, a trade-off with Pakoda. You get some guys who it's still high on, even though they seem to be declining. But then you you also get some guys who 
other systems might tend to downgrade them too much based on one bad year, whereas Pocota will say, no, he's still he's still pretty good. Um, I, yeah, and I will say this about projection systems. that This was always one of the things that I thought might be a blind spot for them, is that, like, let's say that the player, you know, the, the system really likes Albert Pools. The system really liked Albert Pools before last year and something changes in Albert Pujols and makes him terrible. And I'm not saying that's the case, but a player like that, something happens and makes him terrible. The thing is that a year later, all the things that it liked about Albert Pujols, like, it still likes all those things. It's, it's, it, it only likes them like 80% as much because that data has been moved to the background. But it basically still thinks that he's more or less the guy that it thought he was. And that's generally a good... Um, perspective to have, you know, generally one year of data is, is less, less reliable, but there are guys who just get worse. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it it takes uh, some, I I just feel like there are certain guys who I remember from my youth, my youth being like, you know, like seven years ago, where it was like every year Pakoda liked him until he was out of the league, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like, it could be that there are certain players who, Pakoda just simply has an affinity for, and the worse their year gets, the more Pakoda likes them to be a riser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, you you watched every or a lot of Albert Pujols' agonizing runs to first base last year and timed them and wrote about them. Um, do you think there's I don't do you think there's any chance of a bounce back to this kind of star? Not not superstar, not best player in the league star, but low level star. Is there yeah. any of there? Do you think that potential is there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a doctor, and I don't know how he's going to show up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it seemed to me watching him that a huge portion of his problems last year was related to his legs. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I didn't appreciate because the Angels kind of denied this was the case, or. Uh, or seemed to at the beginning of the year was that this that the leg didn't just affect his running it really affected his swing his plant and um i became convinced that it was the driving force in his struggles last year there i mean i was already a little down on on pools the year before because of his lost plate recognition which is why i thought that he had you know was going to drop from a like a seven or eight warp player to like a five war player and maybe faster than we had expected. But, um, and so that's still an issue, but I think that's a smaller component to the problems than the legs were. I think the legs were massively, um, to blame. And yeah, I mean, if Pakoda says, I don't know what Pakoda says, but if it says four warp, I'd be comfortable with that. Yeah. 4.7, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. seems, seems totally reasonable to me. I think I said, didn't I, Aren't I on record predicting a, an Albert Pujols first place MVP vote? I think you are. Yeah. I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm looking at just guys who actually played last year here, so that we can get rid of the the Tisheras and and the people who are projected to rise just because they they didn't play. Uh, so the the number one guy, if you look at minimum 500 plate appearances in 2013, is Darwin Barney. Um, who isn't actually projected to be that good. He's just projected to not be awful. Yeah. 
so that's not particularly exciting. But no, <laughs> I agree with that. I agree that he will be not that good. Uh huh. I, um, I don't know that I agree that he'll get much better, but I do agree he will be not that good. We had him at negative one point seven warp last year, so I think that he will he will be better than that. Um, the next two guys are are ones that that people are interested in: uh, B.J. Upton and Starlin Castro. And these are the kind of things where, you know, the the system is not necessarily looking at those two guys as individuals and saying that their their seasons were not worrisome or that it it's dismissing their their struggles last year it's it's just factoring in the fact that they were good for quite a while and then they had a year that was way out of line with their their previous level of performance and it's saying that the odds are that they will bounce back at least to some degree toward that previously established level yeah when we talked about who was going to take over the um, the Uni, best, Uni Betancourt mantle as the guy capable of having seven consecutive sub-replacement seasons and still hanging on in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, one name I thought of was Starlin Castro. Hmm. Uh, not that I think he will. I think that Fakoda's projection that he comes back to be what, like roughly an average player mm-hmm. is good. I think that's basically what he is. But um, he could hang on for a really long time mm-hmm. as a sub-replacement player mm-hmm. if, he, if he wanted to, if, he, if that were his goal. Uh, Pablo Sa- Pablo Sandoval is projected for like a, a two win rise, and Pakoda hasn't even seen his shirtless pictures yet. Um, and Dan Ugla is projected to not be completely terrible again. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, Wait, what is his name? <laughs> what is Dan Ugla's name? Yeah, what is? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, Never mind. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It likes uh, likes people like uh, Jose Altuve is a riser. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one because he played he played plenty last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder why. I wonder why that is. Uh, I don't know. I, I wonder. I guess he had a he had a bad bad defensive rating last year. Mm. Maybe that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Jose Bautista. Uh, Naturally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Carlos Stanton? Uh, let's see, nope. where's Stanton? He's not close to the top here. Prince Fielder is pretty close to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would buy that. Stanton Stanton is uh, about, a, huh, about a win better, looks like. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the, on the other end, uh, it's... Sort of the opposite. It's people who who took a huge step forward last year, like Chris Davis would be the the guy at the bottom. And there's nothing nothing particularly fluky about Chris Davis. It's one of those. I mean, the the stats are the actual performance. If you dig into it, you can certainly talk yourself into believing that it was a real thing. And that's that's what we do when we look at these projections and we see that someone is supposed to to fall like that. You sort of make excuses for the system or at least you you explain what you know that the system doesn't uh, because you often hear people say that you know if you believe in your projection system then you should just 
defend all of its projections. Like you can't you can't build a projection system and then claim that you have a better idea of what this particular player is going to do than the projection system does. That would almost seem to defeat the purpose of having a projection system. But there are cases where I think it's completely valid to do that. Um, if you if you know that a a guy did something that really seemed to to change his true talent level, and you can be deceived. Um, and there are cases there are cases where you can be deceived, where the projection system might turn out to be right after all. But you can make a case that Chris Davis did things differently. He changed his swing and he changed his approach and he started hitting balls in different places and letting other balls go. And these are all sort of inputs that are not currently in projection systems and uh, they are in our brains. So we might as well make use of them. Yeah. Um, as for the, uh, the <laughs> standings, um, the standings, I, uh, I have no problem with any of the projected division winners. We talked about our our risers and fallers in the standings on yesterday's show. The the projected division winners are all probably the teams that I would have picked. Uh, the Red Dodgers, Sox, Dodgers, Red, Cardinals, Nationals, Red Sox, Tigers, and A's. Yep. Um, okay. So nothing nothing seems very very strange there. The uh, the AL East race is—it's uh, actually a—it's actually a tie at the top between the Red Sox and the Rays. Um, the AL West race is uh, there's a one-win difference in projection between the A's and the Angels, which could surprise some people. And the Rangers are a couple games back of that, so all—all all three of those teams are within three wins. The Nationals and Braves are three wins apart. Cardinals, Reds, five wins apart. The real outlier and the real eye-catching projection on here because all of those teams are, are kind of clustered around 89-89 or 88-89 uh, wins which is typically what you see with Pocota. It's the good teams are high 80s or low 90s um, and it's it's similar to the individual player projections where we don't really see the extremes so we kind of look at the ordinal rankings more than anything but in this case the the Dodgers are the outlier at 98 wins. Yeah, best offense in the National League, according mm-hmm. to this. Yes. Uh, and best pitching. <laughs> yes. Uh, in, in, in the majors. <laughs> yeah, by far. And it, it looks like um, they're projected to allow 40 to 50 runs fewer than any other team, which yeah. partially is, some of that is the ballpark, I suppose. But... Um, it's not the defense because they're projected to be a below average defensive team. It is, it looks like the power of Kershaw and Granke and Ryu. Um, and Heron is, is projected to be competent at least. Um, and it's really, I guess the, uh, the offense is interesting because there is no, no player projected to be worth even four wins in the lineup, which is probably strange. I would imagine that a lot of a lot of teams with worse offenses have have one or more or, or more players at that level. The Dodgers don't have anyone according to this, but they also don't really have a, a hole 
it looks like. Um, and they also have, they have like Andre Ethier at 2.4 wins just as a fourth outfielder. So there's a lot of depth and it does seem like that's one of the things that causes us to underrate teams in a lot of seasons is just not having a hole. Um, we talked about that last season, I think with, with the A's just sort of how no one on their, no one in their lineup looked all that impressive as an individual, but there was no, no sub replacement guy just sucking up plate appearances really. Um, and it kind of looks like that's the case with the Dodgers and the rotation is projected to do well. The relievers are projected to do well. And then part of it is just the quality of the competition, because if you look at the, the projected team warp totals, um, there's only like a, there's like a six win difference between them and the Red Sox in this and a nine win difference in the actual win totals. So I assume that some of that is just the NL West effect. Um, do you do you at least do you I'll, buy the probably, I, probably yeah. the NL probably the NL effect? For yes. what it's worth, Pakoda yes. has the other four teams in the division uh, a combined uh, game over 500. So mm-hmm. uh, so that I would imagine that that's the best of any division's bottom four teams, except for maybe the AL East. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you buy at least the, do you buy the idea that the Dodgers are the best team in baseball? Yes. Okay. I don't, I mean, I buy the idea. I don't know if I necessarily agree, mm-hmm. but, but probably, probably I agree. Okay. So that's the important thing here. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would, I would say that I, my, my, my gut or whatever, my, my, whatever, any of these things. The thing in my brain that reads a bunch of stuff and then turns out an opinion, mm-hmm. whatever that is, uh, would be that it's either the Dodgers or the Cardinals or the Tigers, and probably the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or the Cardinals or the Tigers. <laughs> um, anything else you want to mention? Nope. Okay. Well, uh, we hope that you will... Go to BP and look over the projections yourself and discuss them in the Facebook group with the many hundreds of other listeners who are in there uh, at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Um, the Astros are projected to be two wins better than we projected them to be last year. Uh, and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that and other exciting things about the Astros tomorrow when we kick off the season preview series. I am... <laughs> I'm looking forward to this, and not not only because it means that we don't really have to think of topics for the next month plus, um, but I'm going to enjoy it. We had a lot of interesting people who wrote for the annual this year that we didn't talk to on last year's season preview stuff, so looking forward to hearing their thoughts and also the thoughts of the, the other non-BP guests who will be on. Uh, so as a reminder, we'll be doing those Monday to Thursday from the worst projected team to the best projected team. And we will still answer your emails on Fridays. So send us some at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. And we'll be back tomorrow.